You're right. I haven't. I'll get to it. <laughs> Let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who paid the price to save our souls. And I, I just ask for your help this morning as we uh, consider him and, and your plan of redemption for us. Help us to rejoice in that. I pray that your spirit would just encourage our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, I want to, I hope you've got a handout because it'll be easier to see with this because I, on the overhead, it's not, I have a question per slide. But I want us to go all the way back to question 16 because I think, I want you to see the, the way this works because these questions will make sense one right after the other. So question 16, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law. And we just talked all about the law, right, with all those questions, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. So that's what sin is. And we like, yeah, I know that. I feel that. I know that. And then the next question we had is, what is idolatry? And idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. And we say, yep, that's us. And then the next question we had is, well, is God going to allow our disobedience, our sin, and idolatry to go unpunished? And we answered, no. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God and against his righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in his just judgment, both in this life and the life to come. Now, do you see? So the law, we don't meet up to the law. We rebel against him. We make idols. And is God going to allow that to continue? No. So these, all these questions just follow right from each other. So the next question we had last week was, but so we're doomed. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes, to satisfy his justice. I bet we could have done this one by memory because we worked really hard on that one. God, yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself out of mere mercy reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. So today's question then is, who is the redeemer? Who is the redeemer? So the last question was, God rescues us by a Redeemer who is the Redeemer. So let's read this together, this question. The only Redeemer, I don't hear you, the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. Let's read it together again. Who, who is the Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. All right, so let me ask a question of the children. Kids. What is debt? Liam. Money. Money is, is related to debt, for sure. Wesley? Ah, right. Right. 
that's when you want something really important, really important, and you don't have the money for it right then, right? And, and you borrow that money from them. So once you've borrowed it, you have to do what, Liam? Pay them back, right? Exactly. Now, sometimes people get into really hard situations in life. Sometimes they lose their job. They can't then pay it back. That's a bad thing, especially if it's a lot of debt. Um, I, one of my jobs in college was calling people who had not paid on their debt, and their debt was against their home. And if they didn't pay, for their, that, pay on that debt, we had to take their home away from them. That's pretty awful. In the old days, do you know what would happen if you couldn't pay your debt? Like in the 1800s, 1700s, what would happen if you couldn't pay on your debt? Crusoe? Yes. They had a jail called debtor's prison. It was different than the other kind. It was just for people who couldn't pay their debt. And these were not nice places. They were very, people would get sick. It often would die. But they send you to debtor's prison until your debt gets paid off. Now, any problems with that? Wes? You can't pay it off if you don't have a job. You can't have a job in jail. Right? So it doesn't. You can never pay off your debt unless somebody Thank you. goes, you know what? Uh, did everybody hear that? I was, my next question was going to be, like, you see the, the kids automatically see the, like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. You go to debtor's prison until your debt's paid off, but you're in prison, so you can't work to pay it off. What are we going to do about it? And he said, until somebody does what? Pays your debt. Pays your debt. The person who will pay your debt off is called a, Third word of your catechism question, last word of the, que- of the question itself. Leslie. A redeemer, thank you. <laughs> that is what a redeemer is. What's your question, Wes? You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the church. All right, but let's keep focused here. So someone, someone who pays off your debt for you is called a redeemer. And that is what Jesus was for us. Now, our sin incurs a debt. Like when you borrow money, there's a debt. If I hurt you, if I do something wrong to you, that is also now a debt. It's not necessarily a money debt, but I owe you something, right? If, if, West, if Pastor Matt slaps somebody, which apparently he talks about doing, um, he, <laughs> he, he owes something to them. Not necessarily money, but it could be because he now has incurred debt against them. When we talk about our sin, rejecting or ignoring God, we are building up debt because we have done something wrong against him. 
Now, my, my son William's not here this morning, but he was just talking about an illustration he heard in class this week. If, if you go out to the parking lot and scratch, um, I'm going to, yeah, she looked at me. I'm going to, you scratch Elena's car. We just paid $5,000 for Elena's car. Well, it, taxes, your license, it was $5,806, right? And 22 cents. If we go scratch that car, like, to, what do you owe her? Like, it's going to take, are we even going to probably pay, go to the body shop to have that taken care of on a $5,000 car? What will, what? yeah, it would be 1200 if you wanted taken care of at a body shop. But is, you're, you're not going to probably do anything about it, right? Because mm-hmm. the value of the car is so low compared to what it would cost to fix it. Yes, West. Thank you. Well, this is the next level up, right? What happens if Mr. Dwayne drives that beautiful Camaro here? In fact, in fact, is, is Mr. Tim Massey their uncle? Technically, how does it work? It's Tiffany's uncle. Great uncle had a Porsche 911 Carrera. It was a 70s one. He had he had the emblem in huge on the on. The, Painted in the big, taking up most of the hood. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. Some kid at church on a Wednesday night wrote his name on the hood. Yeah, right? Now, that will cost much more to fix, won't it? Because the value of the car is worth so much more. Now, that's really expensive. But Sabrina and I went down to Memphis, Tennessee last year at this time, in August, and we went to Graceland. Graceland's got this museum, and there's this pink Cadillac in there that Elvis had bought and drove. If I scratch that car, even that's going to be worth so much more than even Mr. Dwayne's Camaro, right? Because somebody's going to pay a million bucks for that Cadillac. Do you understand what's the principle there? I'm not understanding because if I scratch Elena's car, I need to fix it. It doesn't matter. What this is car. true, but the cost of refixing Elena's car is like this compared to fixing the Camaro. Compared to, and it's really not even the cost of the repair that's the issue. It's the value of the thing in itself that matters. Yeah, because there's, I was talking about that King Cadillac, and you go. Well, then you fix it, and it's not. No, it's, it's not. not the same. It's no longer the same. It's no longer that original paint job. You have to say right. This is the rep- it's not the same, and you permanently. It's not so much the value of the transaction, the error you did. It's the value of the thing that you have done it against. Mm-hmm. Now, with God, if if I go over here and I actually decide to slap Matt because I'm just so tired of hearing about slapping babies, mm-hmm. so I'm going to slap him. But if you scratch Bill's truck. <laughs> the penalty is death. <laughs> but if I if I slap same principle here, if I slap Matt, the right recompense would be him for him to maybe slap me back twice. Right? Okay. If if I if if I slap if I slap a police officer, 
right? What's going to happen? You go to jail, right? If I am in court for slapping the police officer and I go up and slap the judge, right? It's going to be long prison sentence, right? What if they let me out on parole and I'm at a presidential rally and I slap the president? (laughs) No, you people, don't say it's okay. We honor the king. It says in the Bible, we honor the king. We don't get to slap the president. The same principle here applies. The value of the person upon which you committed a crime changes. So this is why when we sin against God, what is God's value? How much is he worth? Wes, unlimited. Kathy said it there. Incalculable. Incalculable is the big word. You cannot add up how much God is worth. So one sin is all it takes against an infinite God. And now your sin is, has an infinite debt. And we need someone who can pay an infinite debt. That's the whole point. So where do we get this from? Um, Jesus pays our debt, and that's what we see in the scripture in a lot of places, but I want to just pick a few passages for us to look at real quickly this morning. Um, and we're only going to look at the last sentence, but <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, when, how many of you have written papers and your teacher or your mom just makes all kinds of corrections on them and says this is a run-on, like where's the period going to come? The Apostle Paul apparently is allowed to do that because this sentence keeps on going past this set, verse 7, but it starts up here in verse 3. So read with me. You can, I'll read it out loud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, And that period actually isn't in there in the Greek. He just keeps going. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. And what word does that sound like? kids that you heard already in our question. Redeemer. Redemption. Redeemers do redemption. That's what this is about. Exactly. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's a fancy word for our trans, our sins against God, according to the riches of his grace. Okay. So that last verse, the, the one that I highlighted in bold there, This tells us at least three things about our redemption. So what's the first thing that that first, that last sentence says about what redemption does or how it worked? What's the first phrase? How do we have redemption? Through his blood, right? What does that say then about the value of Jesus's blood? What's that? Yep, that's the second thing that we get, that the blood itself has so much value, it's worth enough to give us 
forgiveness. Right? That's the second thing, that his blood gives us forgiveness of all of our sins. And then what else does it say about that? That blood, that redemption, that forgiveness, what's the last part? Why does he do it? Grace. Grace. And I put the rest of the sins because we say, like there's an old country song I like, like why would he love me so? Right? And the answer is because he wanted to. (laughs) There's no other answer because it isn't in me. It's because he wanted to. That's how glorious Jesus is. He loved us uh, according to the purpose of his will in the middle of verse 5. In other words, he wanted to. He wanted to show us grace, which another catechism question, we'll get into like, what is grace? But what is grace if we just try to think about it right for a second? Unmerited favor, that's a fancy word. Kids, how would you say what great unmerited favor means? What does it mean to merit something? Ava's got it. I, Gee, okay. I see some of those girls in front, they're looking at Wesley's back of his head. Like, just let him answer. They're just looking at his hair that's sticking up. <laughs> you got a person that works at the, the salon here, she can probably help you out. Yeah. Yep. What is demerit? Oh, all of you went to high school and got those. Do they still do those? Do you they give? Don't do demerits oh, because we hurt their self-esteem. I'm yeah. sure. Oh, that's too negative. Too negative. Yes, Wes. Yeah, I remember what merit and demerit. Okay. Means like to take down a level, and merit means to like up a level. Earning, right? Yeah. Because of something good you've done. Unmerited would then mean you haven't had to do anything good to get it. Grace means that I don't have to be good enough to get this favor shown to me, this goodness given to me. That's what grace is. Jesus redeems us through his blood, gives us forgiveness by that redemption, and it's all according to this riches of his grace. It's like it's almost like he's got a treasure chest full of grace. And he just like it comes out of it, it never stops. It's like a bottomless pit box of grace just continues to do it. And that, that phrase is so good because when you think about your own sin, people get tripped up by how bad they've been. Yeah. But the fact that the forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace, that there's great hope in that because there's nothing that you could have done that you're saying that what you did is worse than the riches of God's grace. Right. His, he's going to forgive you not based on how bad you've been, but how great he is. How great his, tre- his, his treasury is. Does he have enough in his bank account of grace to pay for your debt? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Endless. So the next verse I'm going to show us um, uses a different word for redeeming. It actually uses the word ransom. So let's explain ransom a little bit. Um, Ava, what's your most prized possession? The most important thing you have on this earth? You love it. The, books. Your books? Mm. Which? <laughs> is there a book that it's like your favorite book that you would like? What about an electronic 
uh, anything? I keep the, the library. I've got a library of books. Like, the library. Okay, your library. I'd be pulling that out of my house before I went and got chaired out. <laughs> you guys have seen my front room, too, right, when you walk in, right? Me, too. That's probably my most prized possession. Okay. In this make-believe world, Ava, I have stolen your entire collection of books. All right? And in this make-believe world, there are no police to come get me. However, I said, you can pay me, and I'll give them, I'll give them back to you. So, Ava, um, how much money do you have of your own right now? Maybe in a bank account or all of it added up. Just guess. Thirty bucks. Okay. So I have, I have all of your books. Are you willing to give me a quarter for all your books back? Yes. Okay. How about a dollar? Okay. How about twenty dollars for all of your books? <laughs> yeah, she probably would. Like. If you had $1,000 and I stole them and I said, you have to give me $1,000 for them, would you give me $1,000 for all those books? No. Oh, shoot. <laughs> My illustration's going to break down. <laughs> how, many, how many of you have seen these Liam Neeson movies where they kid, yeah. he kidnaps the little girl? Somebody kidnaps, and it's Liam's little girl. How much are you willing to pay for your child being kidnapped, Right? Redemption is costly. And when someone steals something from you and they demand a payment back, that word for the payment is called a ransom. All right? So keep that in mind as we look at this next verse. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. And again, it's a big sentence. So a couple of them together. I'll read it all. Then we'll look at just verse 18 and 19. And if you call on him as father... Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold or dollars or whatever, right? But you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest. He showed up. He was made revealed in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There's so much in that passage. We, we don't have time to go all through it, but it shows us that Jesus did not pay money to God. Like, so when we say that Jesus redeemed us, it's not like he gave him money. He paid for it. He paid a ransom with what? Himself, his blood. The precious, that word precious is like the thing that's most valuable to you. Precious blood of Christ. Um, his own death was sufficient for us. And in future catechism questions, we'll talk about why. Like, we'll plumb that a little bit. We'll dig into that a little bit more. But I wanted to show you one more verse before we talk about 
a really important thing about why this matters. So, the catechism question says that the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at this next verse. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. through 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, how many gods does this say that there are? One God and one mediator, right? The mediator is like the person that will do the go-between. And in this case, Jesus is the go-between between the ones who sinned against God and God himself. And it, this is tricky because we talk about the Trinity. God himself goes to God. As the second person of the Trinity goes to the Father, pays that price for us. How many ways does it say that there is to God? It's essentially telling us there's only one way. So that's why I want us to think for just a few minutes before we end here this morning. But why does this matter? So we're in church. We're in a Christian church. I'm going to ask you this question, and I know what your answer is. If I say, are there more than one ways to God than what we've taught here? You'll all say, no. Right? It... Of course, through the teaching that, that we've walked through both in our catechism and through the plain teaching of the Bible that we have, we understand the logic of the Christian doctrine. It makes sense. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one comes to the Father except through me. We know that. And all other attempts to go to God are false religions. That means there is no other religion that's true. Now, we know that and we say that, but how many of you have friends or family members who believe, who do not believe what the Bible teaches, and at the same time, you look at them and you think, they're a better person than me? I've known some people like that, that a lot of people, that I, I look at their lives and I'm like, that person is going to go to hell. And they're a better behaving person than I am. I was, Matt hates it. Actually, maybe it's more charity that hates it when I give illustrations of things that are like very surreal. So I'm in Syria in 2000. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I really literally was in Syria in 2010. This is before the Civil War started. And I'm literally up on top of a Crusader castle. <laughs> You're like, what? No, for real. We just get annoyed because all our examples are like, I was down by Stony Creek. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I was in Syria. <laughs> and we had just had a devotional at the end of the evening as the sun went down. Oh. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. So the sun has set, and I'm looking out over whatever city that was, and you see all these minarets 
That's the steeples that come off of a mosque. They're like these little towers. And they all have a green light on them. It's kind of interesting. And I'm looking out and I'm almost starting to cry because I'm just all these lost people that think they're going to heaven. They're, they're going to be with Allah because of whatever. And it's grieving me. And I went on that trip with people from different seminaries that completely deny things like miracles, very liberal. And one of them came up to me and I hadn't said anything. This is all in my head. I'm just looking at it there. And he says, you're probably thinking that all these people are going to hell and it's making you sad, aren't you? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, actually I am. And him, he said, you, how is it that you're, you got to be born where you are and hear this. They never heard that. That's the context they're put in. That's all they know. Isn't that good enough for them? And here's the thing, like us adults, I think we respond to that kind of thing of the, the logic's clear, right? The Bible says truth, truth, truth is truth. But we have a generation here that has been taught that the feelings are what guide us. And frankly, if you know anybody in your life that is very close to you and your family and they died and went to hell, it hurts you a lot. And there's, if you're honest, there's sometimes doubts, right? You're going to be like, is this for real? Because God, why would you allow that? Because I don't, the common response is, I don't want to worship a God who would allow that good person, Right? to do that. And that's tough. We got to be honest and be able to be real about this. We're not, I'm not going to deny any of the truth of what we saw of scripture, but we have to think a little bit differently. But how do I respond and minister to people that they're only thinking compassionately about that other person and don't know how to, what to do with these things that seem to conflict? Like, because what they hear from church, what we read in the Bible, they know, like, wait, that can't, I don't like that <laughs> because that hurts me to know that that would, if that's true. So I'm not going to claim that I have a whole bunch of helpful, you know, all the right answers to how do we help. But I have thought of a few things of how we need to respond when we think about the fact that saying that the, the way to Jesus is an exclusive path. There is no other way. So the first thing I think we need to do is we have to be compassionate towards everyone, everyone, since everyone has value and dignity because they're made in the image of God, right? It's so easy for us to be maybe condescending and arrogant because we've now learned the truth and to think that we can't do that. We have to be compassionate and understand that they are made in the image of God and they're broken just like you and me, right? Um, and the second thing I would say is this is really important because we hear a lot. That guy that talked to me on the top of that castle seemed to say that what I believe is an American thing. My understanding of the Bible is just an American thing that's been taught to me over the, my lifetime. And over the last couple of years, this is an American religion. 
And what I want you to understand, and Pastor Matt would want you to understand, that these catechism questions is just one way we're showing that this is not an American thing. We sit on the shoulders of thousands, 2,000 years of church teaching. So you are anchored to people who in Syria, in Antioch, well, almost up to Syria, and in Alexandria, Egypt, believed these same things. So that should give you some hope and help you to see that we're, and help people that are struggling with this to say, no, this isn't an American thing. We're just anchoring ourselves to other pilgrims through history who have been going to Jesus and seeing that they're, he's their only hope. Matt. Um, I was going to add two things on it. I don't know if we've got time to do it real quick. We do. One, uh, just to validate what you're saying, our culture's consumed with everybody goes to heaven because it's amazing. One of the things I didn't anticipate before I became a pastor was how many funerals I would have to do for people that I've never met. People would just call me up, and for the first several years I was doing this, I, I would get random calls. I know my mom remembers that, random calls from people that, supposedly went to Edgewood at some point back in the day and are like, hey, could you do this funeral? And I dedicated myself, I'll, I will, if I get asked to do that, I'll do that as much as I possibly can. And I'll tell you what, you go to Sunset, everybody's going to heaven. <laughs> you know, everybody's going to heaven. Yeah. Um, but on that note of compassion that you just mentioned, there was, I think it was William Carey, who was a missionary in in India, and there's a story of him where he had been speaking to these Buddhist monks and telling them the truth of Jesus. And uh, at one point, they were getting very upset with him, and they one of them finally said to him, they said, if what you're saying is true, then my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather all went to hell. And this is, this is the part where that compassion is so important because it's not compassionate to say, no, they didn't. Right. What he, William Carey did in that moment is he said, yes. And then he quoted Romans 9, um, I think it's 22. It says, he said, what if God desiring to show his wrath and make known his power has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So what if God was patient through all those generations of people denying him? But what if he did that? It goes on to say, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. In other words, William Carey said, what if God has endured? He didn't wipe all of them out. But here you are today, a recipient of God's mercy. Yeah. And that's, that blows my mind because I, I would have a hard time saying that to somebody. But yeah, that's... The, that is the hard reality. Yeah. And that's what ought to drive us to share the truth. Yep. You know, is not a, that compassion is so tricky because it feels compact, more compassionate to say, well, maybe they did go to heaven. But the reality is, if they weren't, if, they, if their faith was not in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. they didn't. Right. And if they were here today, and I've had to do that at a few funerals where, you know, as tactfully as I could, I basically had to say, if they were here today, I'm thinking of that rich man and Lazarus. Mm -hmm. I said, that, that, that rich man from, from hell said, would you go tell my brothers? I said, and so you, if they were here today, they would want you to know, believe on this Christ. Right. You know? Yep. 
very hard sermons to preach when you very. don't think they are. So, so the other thing I would say that we must not do is abandon the Bible. And kids, I would tell you this. If you start to question whether the Bible is true, it's okay to have the questions. Come ask people, like, I don't understand how this and this can line up. Do that. But once you start to say, no, it says that, but that's just not true, you will erode your faith from there. The Bible, it says of itself, it makes some claims. It says every word of this is true. If you deny that, everything will start to fall apart. And for us as adults, the Bible is the only way we get to know who Jesus is. We know that there's a God, because I can, without the Bible, know that there's a God. I look in the mirror and see I'm a very complex creature. His eyes, all the things, right? It tells me that there's got to be a God who made me. But it doesn't tell me that there's a God who died on the cross for me. That's the only way you're going to find that is through, through the Bible, right? So you can't do that. But finally, these truths and believing them cannot happen by anything you can convince anybody of. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that means the final thing I would say, and there's other things we could say about this. I'm not saying it's everything, but we have to pray. We have to ask God, would you open their eyes to see the truth? Love them compassionately. Don't elevate yourself above them. Say, I, like those Gibeonites last week, don't deserve this mercy. I've been shown mercy. You can receive mercy. Point them to Jesus and pray that God would show them Jesus. That's the way people get saved is the Spirit opens eyes to see. Then when they see His grace, He also gives them that faith to believe. And we'll talk about that later too. So um, did I put in there a, a website on that handout at the bottom? Yeah, I was going to say, and God opened my eyes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you don't, it's, like, it's not like I came to this on my own. Yeah. God opened my eyes to see this. If, if he hadn't done that, I'd be in hell as well, right? Well, let's pray and, and close. Anyway, that URL I found very helpful in thinking through how to respond to pluralism. Father, thank you that you have shown us mercy out of that bottomless treasure of grace that you have. Through your son Jesus who redeemed us, who paid the ransom for us so that we no longer have to be slaves to sin, so that we no longer owe you a debt we could not pay. You gave your son for us so that we could be with the Father, Son, and Spirit forever. And Father, there's so many people we love and know dearly that we long for them to see this truth that you would share, show them grace like you've shown us mercy and grace as well. Would you help us to be compassionate people and show that we didn't deserve redemption and yet you did that and that there's a free gift of grace if they would come to see, come to you.
God, would you open eyes, help them to see. Would you continue to open our eyes because the sin in us is not eradicated until you take us home. And so even this morning as we go into the service that we have to hear and sing, um, to hear from you and to sing to you, we need our eyes opened because we have cataracts that block our vision of you. So would you clear out our cloudy eyes so that we can see you more clearly today? In Jesus' name, amen.